welcome to Should I Get Banks. I'm your host, Julia Rousey, and today's guest was a finalist on America's Got Talent. She just recorded her first comedy special, Trailer Trash Trophy Wife. Please welcome to the show. Vicky Barbalak. There she is. <laughs> Thank you. Julia, I have to I have to correct you. It is not trailer park trailer trash. It is trophy trailer wife. park. It is trailer park trophy wife. Did and I, I say think that? you I think you might have accidentally referred to me as trailer trash, which no. Can, no. you know what? Let it it's fine. It's a Freudian slip. It happens all the time. <laughs> Really, what I said? Yes, and I love it. So let's maybe I'll just change the name of the uh, show. Yeah, to trailer park, trailer trash. I like it. I mean, it's probably going to be more popular. Let's just know, go with if, that. If I did say that, that is a bummer. That that term is so what subconsciously embedded in my brain. You know, it, it, the reason I actually came up with trailer nasty is because I get I got I was so often called trailer tap trash. Trailer yeah. trash, trailer trash. So I came up with trailer nasty just just because I was like, you know, trailer trash. It's such a big term; it covers so many of us. I wanted to be more specific. I wanted to be trailer nasty, as well yeah. as trailer trash. I want to be I, in the subgenre. It is really funny, you know. I know it can be annoying at times to overthink every term we use, but I have to say, I've been really enjoying learning where all the terms come from. Cause there's so many terms we use that we don't even realize that they can be really negative or limiting or to other people. You know what I mean? Like right. I remember when I, when I first learned years ago, how you should like calling a parking spot, get like, Oh, I ghetto parked. And then someone's like, well, you know that that term is from like, and like they explained it to me and I was like, Oh, I didn't even realize what an idiot I sounded like. Did they go all the way back to the ghettos of Europe? Is that what no. they, they went to the ghettos of America? That kind yes. of ghetto. Okay. Because, you know, it's so weird to go to Europe and then, you know, walk around Rome and, and stuff. And they show you where the ghettos were. The ghettos was generally where the Jewish people lived in the ghettos there. And that, yes. that's what they would refer to Rome as. And then here, you know, it's referred to as, you know, the poor people of color, whichever color, or super poor, but mostly black. But yeah, that's just, and like here at the trailer park, I refer to the lower part of the trailer park as the ghetto, uh, where we used to live. Wow. Where we worked Wait, are you in a trailer out. park right now? Yeah, but we're at the top, way up at the high end. <laughs> and all the poor people who aren't able to afford the better homes here at the top of the park, I don't even talk to them anymore. No. Because I don't have to. <laughs> really? No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> it was like, well, but I'll, I'll tell you something really like stupid is it wasn't until, gosh, maybe like six years ago, I went to someone's house in LA and they were like, yeah, this is a trailer. I'm like, no, it's a house. And they're like, no, it's a trailer. And I felt so stupid because, you know, I grew up on, in Boston, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure there might be a trailer park somewhere, but I don't know about it. Not within um, miles. Not within, yeah, not within right. miles. But I, I always thought trailer meant a Winnebago. Yeah. And then when I found out that it was literally just a portable, a house that one could eventually move, right? Because it's not built into the foundation. Is that essentially what it is? Yeah, like ours is a double wide. So it when you when you see them going down the freeway, it's two 12 foot by 60 
pieces of, you know, square, like rectangles, like shoe boxes on wheels. And then when they put them together, then if you want to move it, you got to take it apart and then, you know, you can move it again. So yeah, this totally is a movable house, but it's very expensive. When I did America's Got Talent, they're British, right? And um, they just couldn't get it. They kept going, can you bring your house? Um, would you mind just bringing your house down? And I go, no, because <laughs> it's connected to the sewer and stuff. So no, I can't. Yeah. And they're like, all right. And then next week, excuse me, um, we just think it'd be a really wonderful if you'd bring your house. And finally, I'm like, I'm gonna, I could borrow a trailer from someone and pretend it's my house. <laughs> but and they go, Oh, would you mind doing that? And I really was going to, but then I'm like, that's just too phony. I'm not gonna yeah. pretend to live in my daughter's trailer which is, you yeah. know, the one they pull their horses in. So, yeah. no. <laughs> Wait, so did that, okay, so I have so many things I feel like I want to chat with you about, but uh, how did America's Got Talent really change a lot for you? Yeah, it's, it's. I had no idea what, what the show would mean to me, and I had never watched the show till I was on the show, and I never thought I'd get on the show. Um, so, it, it was all like a big surprise. What happens is that the audience reaches so big. It's like 15, 20 million people an episode. And they, if you stay a long time, like through to the finals, they they really get to know you. The audience really gets to know you. So it's almost like you made friends with millions of people. And, cool. and, uh, and so it was, and also for me, like uh, my friend, Sharon Houston, you know, Sharon, Yes. Yeah. So she was producing for them. She called me in to audition. I go, Sharon, they're never going to take me. And and she goes, no, they're British. They I've shown they, they like you. You should you will come in. I go, okay. But then she told me later that a lot of people turned her down because, you know, they felt like it would be detrimental to their career because the two minute spots can be really tough and you could look bad. But I was sitting there on my trailer, literally thinking, how could life get any worse? You can't fall any lower than I am sitting at right now. And I meant that with all my heart, I would never have not, can, not tried or thought I had anything to lose. So for me, because I was at a point where, you know, just, you know, like I was always oh, so sorry. <laughs> okay. I was always, you know, I was older. I was 40 when I started and, uh, and you know, it was always like industry would never see me so it was a way around the industry to the people. So since then, you know, it's been easy to tour and sell tickets. And it's so, yeah, completely different life. Of I mean, their reach is so wide because my now 12-year-old niece, who I think started watching the show when she was eight, is a huge fan of the show. And then my mom, who's almost 80, is like, and they both will be like, hey, did you watch America's Got Talent this week? So it's like, the range of, and I think that's, you know, often, I know with comedy, sometimes you sort of zero in and you kind of get to know your audience or whatever. And that does help you, I guess, build a brand. But I mean, I think the dream for any performer is to be able to say, yeah, I have fans that are 10. <laughs> I mean, maybe not 10, but you know what I mean? I have no, fans really? that are like, but like I have fans that are like 20 and I have fans that are 70. And like, you know, what a wonderful, I think, range to have, right? It, it is. And it, it's also demographically uh, one of the only shows that split 50 50 uh, blue, red, you know, uh, Democrat, Republican. Oh, wow. So, you know, and, and so that you have two, you have just like a broad range of people watching. And you're right. I had like two, three year old little girls sending me videos of them tracing their body 
and wearing little leopard outfits. So fun. <laughs> and, so cute. And I have like, when I come to shows, there's just a large amount of different kind of people. There's young people, old people, gays, straight, you know, people on oxygen is very common. I mean, I love, I love that. I love that. So, okay. So talk to me. So you just, this, I feel like this is a good lead into how you came about to come on the show. Um, Cause I love this story so much. So you're, you said before you did America's Got Talent, you felt like, so were you not very happy with where you had gotten career wise, would you say, or sort of felt like kind of getting noticed had passed you by or where were you when I met you the first time? Why don't we go there? <laughs> Let's talk about that. Because, yes. Um, because the last, the when I saw you a few months ago, and I thought it was the first time I saw you, because I'm an idiot, uh, and you were so hilarious, and I waited for you to come off stage, and I said, oh, my God, Julia, you are so funny. It's so nice to meet you. And you go, oh, we've met before. <laughs> and I go, we have, we have. <laughs> And then you told I me the great lie. story. Then you told me the great story. And but where where I was like in you know because I I didn't I don't think I really ever expected to be a, a to be a, a kind of successful comic that a lot of other comics aspire to be. I just wanted to do comedy from the very beginning, and I just kept hoping I would get to keep doing it. And uh, and I I just was it was always clear to me that Mitzi Mitzi was behind me, but you know nobody else seemed to want to take me on in terms of management agents and, and he is the owner was the, the comedy original store. owner of the comedy store for anyone. Exactly. Who does Thank it. you. Yeah. Thank you for that. And you know, when I would approach an agent or a manager, which I rarely did, and they would turn me down, I would say, you're absolutely right. I, I am totally not right for this business. And I would just go back to my trailer. And so I was like the worst business person in the world. And so when America's Got Talent came out, where when when I was where I was when I met you, I was deliriously happy to be doing stand up, but I was also like extremely immature, as you as we will be talking about. I was extremely immature about what my career was, what comedy was. I was like a little baby, even though I was, you know, maybe thirty nine when I met you probably. But and, I think that's a, I think that's a stage of maybe even just life in general, right? It, it can be. I think that some people, yeah. I think when I started stand up, I felt like I was immediately back in junior high again. Oh like, yeah. I, I still I feel felt, that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like you're the, I didn't really even address the amount of fear I had as an artist, say comedian, until just a couple years ago, I didn't even know that fear was a big issue in my life. I had no idea. I swear to you, I, I didn't. I thought it was like a lack of confidence, but I didn't understand how fear, uh, fear really drove a lot of of what was holding me back. I think as as well, a, what would you say the difference is between lack of confidence and fear? Because I think that's kind of something that gets you know convoluted together. I think that like a lack of confidence could be, I am not a very capable person. I never finished anything. I start, uh, people don't like me. I make mistakes all the time. I don't deserve success. 
I'm basically Eastern European. That just said, no, I'm only kidding. But that idea of um, that idea of all those feelings of being a fat little child, angry at the kids who tease me, never forgiving them and never, never loving myself enough made me feel that to me is like a lack of confidence. And then there's a fear, which is this ever present um, uh, being that I think was in me, like always with me, keeping me um, afraid to step out and to, to be successful because I didn't think I could. So I think fear, fear, work side and by side with the lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. And not that I, not that I didn't have, I didn't develop as a comic like I wanted because I think I did become a good comic and that was always my only goal. But uh, I do, I do, do feel like I was constantly um, battling the, those, those negative feelings inside me, uh, which I think so many of us do in art, no matter what art it is or anything. Yeah. But or life. Some, I mean, I think life, life in general. For yeah. sure. And some people have it worse than others and some people don't, but have it much at all. Yippee. But yeah, I, th- I mean, you know, they don't, they seem like they don't, and maybe they don't have it in that area. Maybe they are very confident or very secure in their success. But I feel like when you talk to those people, if you dig, perhaps maybe they are really insecure when it comes to romantic relationships, or they're really, you know, fucked up when it comes to money or something, you know, like, I always say God is fair, because I remember one time I saw like a very hot woman in the gym locker room. And I was like, Oh, she's perfect. And then she was getting changed. And she had like, terrible acne on her back. Not that there's anything wrong with acne on your back. But I was like, God is fair. You know what I mean? Oh, like, God yeah, I'll is take fair. I'll take acne on a beautiful woman's back any day. I'll but you take know what it I mean? All it was day. like, yep. like, it was like, I imagine that's probably insecure for her. But you know, everyone else looking at her at the gym is like, Oh, my God, she's this, she's that. Um, so I think what you're talking about is, you know, common for everyone. So well, to give people context. So what happened when we met 20 years ago? So I, I've shared this before in my show, I kind of fell into stand up, I wanted to be in entertainment, I necessarily wasn't my goal wasn't stand up, I fell into stand up, I got passed at the comedy store, while on vacation, all the door guys hated me. I had no business being there. I just kind of was naturally funny. And then I'm on the show. <laughs> it's so funny because now that I think about this story, it's so ridiculous. But I'm on a sh- I get put on a show with Vicky. God, I think I was in LA four months. I, I mean, I wasn't at least the most six months. I was very new here. And I guess, do you want to tell the rest of the story? <laughs> well, here, here, um, so here's what happened was when I met you four months ago. Okay. When I said, Oh my God, I love you so much. Yeah. And yeah. You, and you said, and then you, you said, thank you. And then you left and then you came back a few minutes later and you go, excuse me, Vicki, we have met before. And I'm like, really? And then <laughs> you said, because you were tra- probably just going, Oh fuck, how am I, how am I going to handle this shit? And so, <laughs> so you, you came back to me and you actually, Vicki, we have met like we have uh, when, and then you said, Oh, well, when I first started, uh, I'd just gotten past and, and you accused me of stealing the stupid joke. And you and it was a stupid joke up about um, who's your daddy? Uh, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? <laughs> My daddy's a diabetic amputee. I don't want to talk about him now. And then you said you said, um, 
and then you told Mitzi and Mitzi banned me and and I my career was ruined right when it started and for a year uh, I was devastated by what you had done. I didn't done. get banned. Okay, okay, you didn't get banned. But for a year you were devastated uh, by what yes. I had done to you and said about you. And I, I, I was like, well, I don't, at first, I said, my God, Julia, I swear to you, I believe you, but I have no memory of that. And then I felt even worse because I'm such a pig. I hurt somebody so badly. I ran you over with a truck and I don't even remember hitting you with a truck. So then I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought I thought about it while we stood there and I looked in, in, at you and then I my brain went Rolodexing back, you know, through the brain cells that I have remaining to me. And I found the memory when I, when we were talking, I said, Oh my God, I do remember that. I, I begged you to forgive me. And you were so gracious. And you said, you, you told me, and I, I really felt like I, 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 I felt as, as horrible as I could have, as if I did really run you over with a car. And, um, and you said, uh, you said, Vicky, you did apologize to me uh, uh, of some time after it occurred, and and that made me feel a lot better. But um, I just, I remember at that time, I treated, I was very immature about my jokes. If I, I would fight anyone. I, I oh God, this one guy. Anyway, I, but that was completely wrong because, and that was part of the um the fear part. Yeah. Of, the fear part of not not trusting that the jokes were written and they're out there and no, it doesn't matter. It, it, it would that who we're all, we just come across. We everybody has the same jokes. Sure, some people literally take jokes, but that's just a typical "Who's your daddy?" joke. Is a completely observational joke. Had it been more um, uh, uh, mature, less fearful, less of an asshole about my work. I would, you know, I would have realized, of course, I would never have done that, would never do that now. It, this happens all the time now where we hear each other's jokes in each other and it just, nothing matters. I remember Carrie Snow, this guy, um, this guy, uh, you know, Charlie Hill. Did you know him, Charlie Hill? No. He died a long time ago, but he was a really great, funny Native American comic. He was on Letterman. He was great. And the first weekend I worked with him was my first weekend in La Jolla as a paid person the comedy store there. And he told me, he goes, you know what you should open with? You should open with all my life. I wanted to look just like Elizabeth Taylor. And now I do. Okay. So Elizabeth Taylor was fat and old and dying. And that joke worked great. And I used that joke for years until uh, one day somebody told me that was Carrie Joe, Carrie Snow, the comedian who had kind of stopped doing stand up, sort of, but not really. Uh, that was her, 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 one of her best jokes. I go, are you freaking kidding me? I've hacked Carrie Snow's joke all these years. I had no idea. One night, Carrie Snow walked into the comedy store with Felicia Michaels, another peer of hers at the time and a great comic, and someone else. Oh, that Lorraine Newman. Lorraine from What's Some Saturday Night Live. Lorraine, yeah. what's her name? The three of them walked in. And I go, oh, fuck, that's Carrie Snow. And I went and got her. I said, can I speak to you privately? And I pulled her aside. I said, oh, God, Carrie Snow, I don't know how to tell you this, but Charlie Hill gave me this joke a long time ago. I've been using it for years. And someone recently told me that this was your joke. She goes, what joke? I go, oh, I always wanted to look like Liz Taylor. And now I do. And she goes, that shitty joke. I could give a shit about that <laughs> shitty joke. 
who gives a shit? And I go, oh, I go, oh, I've been like struggling to, to find you and tell you if I'm sorry. And she's like, oh, forget it. Keep using that. I could care less. It was like, that's how, <laughs> that's how a human being is now. Where I was with you was a terrible dumbass. And I mean, I always prided myself on supporting other women. And here I tore a new young comic woman apart. And I'll never, and I'm so grateful that you accept my apology. And I, I don't want to be as rude as to keep driving it over and over again. So I continue to be grateful. And uh, I, I will never stop being grateful to you for your kindness. Well, why? Well, first of all, I want to say what's funny about Carrie's reaction was pretty much Mitzi's reaction to what happened with us because I ended up, you called me to confront me right. and I, I called the comedy store to tell them to not give my number to anybody anymore ah, good idea. because you were the second person to do such a thing. Another comic who doesn't do comedy anymore, who I can tell you off pod. So this other comic, she, every time I was at the comedy store, she would say, Hey, you're going to stay and watch my set. And I'd be like, no, I can't. Da, da, da. And then finally one time I was like, totally. And I left. I chose a little off. And that night she did a stupid joke about like, you know, using the penis, you know, using the mic, like it was a penis. And then I also did a similar joke. So then she accused me of stealing it from her. Cause she's like, well, I know you saw me. Cause you said you stayed and watched me that night, which I didn't. And I didn't have the heart to tell her I didn't stay and watch her. So I was like, yeah, oh, whatever. God. It's fine. So anyways, you were the second phone call I had gotten. And what's so funny is in retrospect, all of these jokes are like, very 2001 2002 like who's your daddy was on t-shirts at the beach you know what I mean and what I loved was that I called the comedy store and I said hey can you stop giving my number and Duncan Trussell who was the booker at the time was like why what's happening I'm like I I don't it's not I don't want to make a big deal he's like just tell me so I told him what happened and he's like I'm gonna talk to Mitzi and he told Mitzi about what happened with you and Mitzi's response was both jokes are bad. They should both stop doing them. And ah. All she said. So she didn't ban. I was afraid I was going to get banned because I didn't know okay. how things worked. Her okay, response better. though was like, the two of you are dumb. That's it. Mm-hmm. So I loved that. But what I was going to say was, um, you know, what I, what I think is so fascinating about this story is that how you had to stop and go through your Rolodex to remember and how I, couldn't see your, because the reason why I wanted to say something to you was not to make you feel bad, but because I had seen you on America's Got Talent. And I even like said to my mom, I'm like, oh, I know the comic with the curly hair. And I was like, describing you to her. But then it was so hard for me to not then want to say, and she broke my heart, you know, because I still had this thing. And so even though we had had like a light conversation years ago, I just wanted to talk to you. And also because you have the warmest energy, like, I just think the few times I've seen you recently in the last few months, like, you, you know what I mean at, in comedy shows. And maybe people have this in their office, too, or at parties. There's, like, certain people you talk to and they're nice. Then there's certain people that you're, like, oh, safe, warmth. And you just have, like, warm energy. And so I was, like, well, there's – I got to I gotta clear the air because your energy is so warm now. And so I guess it's a very long way of me saying that what I think is so fascinating is that – it really proves that we all remember things differently and different things affect us differently than others. Cause I'm sure there's somebody out there that I have said something to that was rude or mean, and I don't remember it at all. 
but it had a lasting effect on them for years. I, I hope that's not the case, but like my interaction with you proved that so strongly that like this situation that really affected me took, you know what I mean? Like didn't affect you the same way because you were so, I assume, caught up in your own shit as many of us are. Yes. Uh, you're, you're right. I think I remember, I, I don't remember when I let all that go about being insane about my material and like, and also back then, you know, people would call me and tell me this or that, you know, and, 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 uh, and I, this one time this guy came out to me and he goes, I, I sold one of your jokes to the tonight show. What? And he was a guy, yeah. And he was a guy that was banned from Hollywood, truly banned because he was known to be writing down jokes and literally selling them. He said, I sold, it was a joke I do about my kids being homeschooled. And, uh, and he said, and, and I, he told me that at the La Jolla comedy store one night and I just went ape shit. And, uh, but he had already been banned from Hollywood and I didn't know that. And so, um, but really Mitzi did ban him because he was known from doing this for, for all the, the guys. So um, anyway, uh, that was weird, but that was like, I don't, it was probably shortly after that when I just kind of went, when I, because I just went so crazy. I mean, people never saw me get upset before because I don't get upset, but I just lost my shit so bad. I almost tore the club apart. It was crazy. When that guy, and, I mean, that makes sense. He made money off of your yeah, art. Yeah, exactly. Completely different. And the other with, with you is just being stupid and fearful and, and insane. And, uh, and, and so, and I feel like the thing also that's been great for me about comedy is the first time I, I took Sandy Shore's comedy class. That's how I started. And I took her class. And when I walked into her class, I carried three big books with me so that people in the class would think I was smart. <laughs> wow. What were the books? Just big, the biggest ones I could grab off my bookshelf. I don't even know what they were. Two, two inch wide, at least. That's what they had to be. Three of them, heavy books, sat them down. So that's where my head was when I started standup. I, and, 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 the, and in the first few years, those were the, the years that, you know, I, I, I was at my most, you know, I, I was most happy that I finally found something I'd love, but I was also most, most screwed up about, whether or not I should be doing it and all of that stuff and, and who I was as a comic and what did I want to say all of that? Because who that was a person, if I was a, the person that I was thought so little of myself, I brought books to make people think I was smart. That was where my, my head was about me. So well, learning. Okay. I was gonna say, was intelligence always something that you were insecure about? Like, growing Oh up? yeah. Sure. I, ne I never finished college. I never finished a college class, you know? And so I, I, except maybe an art class, but I was a horrible student and uh, I always felt dumb. And my brother had a really high IQ and it was no made known to me when I was very young. What's my IQ? Don't ask. So I, I always thought I, I was, you know, less than. And so anyway, but the great thing about standup is, if you're going to do it, you have got to know who you are. So you have got to dig in and find out who you are and get to know yourself, even if you don't want to. And that's been the great thing over the last 23 years of me doing this. I've, 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 the, those walls that I, that made me think that I wasn't going to be part of the world, part, able to interact with people because I was 
unable to, unwanted. That's Those are the walls that have been torn away by, oh, why did this happen when I put it on airplane mode? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I told Amber we're recording right now. Anyway, um, so anyway, all those, those walls that, that keep us from being part of other people that are part of insecurity and all that, that that's, that's what's come down. And that's why I'm so most grateful for comedy is because, because it's made me like, feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in the world. And the other thing is the kindred feeling I have for other comedians. And my cousin told me when I started, she goes, I was working with my parents at the carpet store for 20 years. And uh, I was never employee of the month. They hated me. And, <laughs> and so, and so I did that for 20 years. And my cousin goes, you know, Vicki, you're going to love the, the kindred spirits you're going to meet in comedy. I didn't understand what she meant, but that's been the case. I've made such great friendships and I know there's a lot of dark comics, but there's so many people that I feel kindred to and grateful for. And, and uh, I mean, just the way you have been to me and kindly accepted me and understood and, you know, just, uh, and I just, I'm so grateful for the friendships and the people that I've met in comedy. It's meant as much to me as the comedy itself. Do you, do you agree with that? I, I do agree with that. And I also, you know, to go back to what you're saying about getting, you need to know yourself. I think something that can happen, it's a, so I think art, you know, or, or really probably many career paths. I tend to talk right. mostly about art because that's what I know, but right. you know, I'm sure the same goes for many things that people do, but it, unfortunately with stand up, because you're getting to know yourself in front of an audience when you do have, so when I first started, I was very young and I, I was 19. I didn't know myself, you know? Right. And so I had a lot of, um, low confidence and fear purely because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was like, I was working shit out. Like therapy, I always say like, you know, comedy and art can be very therapeutic, but it shouldn't replace therapy. And I definitely, in my very early days, had a lot of moments on stage where I was just complaining and talking about my family and talking about my childhood. And I don't even know if there was punchlines, but it was just a lot of rambling and sort of not really not knowing myself and having any sort of perspective on stuff. And I think that can be, you know, when you're, when you're getting to know yourself in front of an audience, it, it, it kind of can fuck you up because you're like, is this who I really am? Or is this who the audience laughed at? So I'm going to continue to be that way, you know? And so for me, I had to take some breaks from comedy. Cause I was like, I got to get to know myself and get to know and take care of my mental health. So I can actually present a version of me that feels really genuine and not a version of me that is just interested in laughs but is disingenuous yeah. or like, you know, kind of turning up the volume on certain personality aspects that aren't even like genuine to me. Um, and so, yeah, I think like, I, I don't know, comedy is, um, it, you know, and as far as the intelligence thing, I really relate to you on that aspect because my, it was sort of decided as kids that my sister was the smart one. Yeah. Uh, Cause she had glasses. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, literally, she was older the and had glasses. Yeah. 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 And and she was she was better. She was older. So my parents were immigrants. So she often read the instructions for things for them. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was always the cute one that performed. So 
it, you know, and I don't blame my parents for this. I think this happens often, but it was yeah. sort of like, okay, well, she's the smart one. I'm the entertaining one. And so I found myself not trying as hard. Um, you know, I, I just kind of assumed I wasn't the smart one. And then what's so interesting about intelligence, which I'm sure you've learned at this age, you know, at this many years in this business too, is like book smart and class smart and IQ smart. That's cool. Some people are really high over there, but then there's emotional intelligence and, uh, you know, connection and, and words and art. And there's so many different kinds of intelligence. And it makes me so sad that intelligence is so praised when it comes to grades and college and Ivy League. But then you have all these people that are geniuses that yeah. might be really good at like, I don't know, fixing boats or like, exactly. you know, like yeah. sewing or whatever. I'm not just things that are sort of like manual, anything. Yeah, um, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. And now there's like different kind of intelligence tests that are like broken up into different, you know, values and yeah, for sure. And so, and then you, and you, I mean, if even today, like I'll, I'll be, try to be careful not to make snap judgments about people that I might observe for the first time, like, you know, because you might observe them once and you go, Oh, they're, they're, they're this or that, but then you don't know them at all. You just, you make a snap judgment based on these silly things. And, 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 I feel like uh, that in, I think that be, what comedy for, did for me was it, I found that I was finally good at something, at making mm. something. At one thing, it seemed like I could make people laugh. I mean, if, and I know comedy is a weird thing when you think about it. Like, what a weird thing to stand up and try to make people laugh. It's, it's insane. Just odd. It's an odd thing. It, 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 it's best not to think about. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but you know, when you when you, you finally realize there's something that you love and that you can do, it kind of it sh it just sort of made me dig 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 out. And then and then and then once you start, I feel like it's um it, it's it's so less punishing of everybody when you when you forgive yourself and you and you and you love yourself because then you have room to love other people and you oh, yeah. don't have a lot of the love, love room to love other people if you're hating yourself so much you're using up all your space so oh hating that, yourself takes up a lot of energy it takes up everything so i'm just i think that if i had kept working at the carpet store and been miserable and kept my parents business after they retired, I was supposed to take it over and never shifted. And, you know, if I would have kept living that life that I just was miserable in, I I don't know that I ever would have become like the real me, you know? Yeah. Do you find that, you know, you just said that thing about trying to not have quick judgments on people. I, do you find that that sometimes con conflicts with being a comedian? Because I know for me, it's very easy for me to be like at a restaurant with my husband. He's also a comic. And so I'll be like, oh, look at that guy. He's blah, blah, blah. You know, and you kind of make up story about people. I turn people into characters all the time because that's my comedian brain going. And yeah. I always, even though they don't know I'm saying anything, but like I, 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 I'm just kidding. 
but it is kind of judgmental, you know, because that's sort of what comedy inherently can be very judgmental. And it's been uh, challenging for me as I've become older and more aware and more sensitive and more understanding of other people's situations to sometimes maintain that. Am I making any sense? Sort of like oh, yeah. I think humor inherently can be very judgmental. And I do sometimes go on stage or write or say things that are like, well, this fucking guy with his fucking hat, I bet he's a da 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 which, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm always, I'm curious at how to balance those two things sometimes. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, that's kind of like part of what we do in, when we talk, we talk to the crowd, we just make things up. And a lot of times we guess right about these people. Like you could guess yeah. what they do just by looking at them and go, that's creepy. But you, after a while, you just can know there's something. Also, we have to have empathy if we're comedians and some of yeah. that you would never know it from what I did to you. But I mean, I have become, I have become, I am quite empathetic. I feel things when people get hurt. I feel it. I yeah, take off. A, I feel so. So we, that's part of our, our job. I think it's part of our best nature to be empathetic, but, but in that we can kind of know people because we can really, we really see people. But yeah. then I, and then the second part is, you know, just quickly spotting judging and, and them saying they're this or that. And I just, it's just something lately that I've been just been kind of, trying to work on a little more because uh, maybe, maybe because of not knowing that's because we do so much of it on stage and in our, and as we analyze the world we live in so we can talk about it on stage, we, that, that you're right. I never really even thought about it, how much that judgment is part of what we do, but yeah. Yeah. I guess it's the intention behind it too. Cause you know, you can go on stage. So something I really don't, I, I, I'm always my, my, uh, like alert goes up a lot of times when people try to do like jokes about the homeless. That's something I'm always like, there's, there's a way to do it. If you're talking about perhaps a specific person you saw as a character or, you know, you're tackling the system that made them homeless. But when I hear like a comic go up there and just be like, Oh, there's fucking, you know, so I think there's like an intent. It's not a very good example, but I think there's an, your intention behind it. If your intention behind it is to, shed light on a bigger issue, you know, not punch down. Um, you know, I think a lot of times my judgments, I hope that they're people who I look at as evil, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like bad people. And then my other judgments on people that I don't think are evil are usually kind of me saying things like there's, there's sort of like roasting. Like I think if there's like a lighthearted roasting to it, that's different. Um, I try to be really conscious when I'm being very judgmental and it's just kind of coming from a negative place, that's usually when I'm being judgmental about myself. If I really step back, I'm like, Oh, Oh, that's interesting. Why am I like fucking rolling my eyes at everyone and being like, so angry? Oh, it's because I've been judging myself all week. I've been really mean to myself. My friend Howard Richmond passed away, but he was a really brilliant psychiatrist and a comedian. He was called nice. the comic shrink. And it's Love it. just, a, his wife carries on his work. It's called emotional martial arts. Anyway, I have this little postcard in my room that I see every day. And it says, uh, uh, there is no judgment, but self-judgment. And it's like, nailed it, Howard. You know? Yeah. I love that you left the carpet store, started stand up at 40. um, And and then you're having this sort of bump 
right? This sort of new level yeah. at six, 60? 60, 60. It happened at 60 on the show, yeah. And or as I like to say, sexy. Yeah, I mean, but I love it though, because so I'm, I used to never talk about my age. I'm going to be 43 in October, so in a month. Right. And I, and I'm trying to talk about age and stuff more on stage and in my work, because it's like, you know, I feel like every other category, you know, race, size, gender, every kind of appearance thing has had a moment. And yeah. yet age discrimination specifically toward women feels like one of the most acceptable and like no big deal. Do you know, oh, it's just, well, that's just the way it is. And it's like, fuck yeah. that. Like I would not have been able to handle success in my twenties. I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about in my early thirties. Like I swear right when I turned 40, th- something really changed in me and, and, and I'm sure that's going to continue, but it just sucks that like you read all these articles praising people who become successful. Oh, the, the coolest blah, blah, blah is under 25. And it's like, that's great. Congrats to them. But that doesn't mean someone can't do something really cool when they're 70 and still be like wonderful and celebrated. And I, I just, I'm so, I think it's so great that you did everything you did at your age. I'm so excited about it. And I tell, tell young women, I'm like, just don't dread your sixties. It's fun. Everything still works, you know, a little lube and oil every now and then, but it's like (laughs) you, you like any other old car. But what's funny though, I swear to God, Julie, when I'm in LA, I've tested this back because I've just come in from, you know, COVID happened and I was on the road for two solid years and had my own room at Kimmel's. And, and then I, we all stop and we come back. And so I came back and I was in the comedy store and it was so different doing short sets and it was hard to get my legs in that room, in either room. And and I was, when I'm on the road and I say, I'm 63, people go nuts like, yay, you're old, you're old, you're fucking old, yeah. you're awesome. When you say you're old in LA, they're like, oh, 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 barf bag, suck the air out of the room so fast. So I had to learn never to specifically say my age because they would get so in their heads about it they in LA because it's so toxic to be old. But I wonder if it's not because they are against it. I think it's because women have truly been brainwashed much like their weight. You know what I yeah. mean? You're never supposed to ask a woman her age and her weight. Who fucking right. cares? Like who the fuck cares? A guy would never cover that up on his medical report and be like, Oh God, I don't want anyone to know. Like, it it's it's such a bummer because it erases um, years of experience in your life. If I oh, were to yeah. tell people, you know, it was funny. Um, Lori Kilmartin, who's a wonderful comic, yes, she, said she she very funny was like, I told her my age, and she's like, oh man, she's like, having a baby was the best thing you did for your career at this age because people probably assume you're like thirty two, and I'm like, oh yeah, but also like, and she was kidding, obviously. That's but it's funny. Like, but I don't even want to pretend I'm 32. You know, I mean, I guess yeah. for like casting, fine. Yeah. But like I for a while with stand up would find myself going on the road and like I really wanted to appeal to young people because I still had this fucking yeah. brainwash mentality yeah. that like young is cool. Right. And the last few times I went on the road, I if my husband ever comes with me, I always we always like watch the audience and kind of observe. And right. he was like mm-hmm. 
I don't know, your biggest fans seem to be black women in their 50s. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I'll yeah. take it. Hell yeah. That's, that's, a, that's uh, the best compliment yeah. ever because, you know. <laughs> no, no. I, yeah, you're right. But I just, I, I don't know what it is. I think, honestly, though, I have learned. I could be, I could say things like, uh, at my age, uh, I have the testosterone level of a 19-year-old boy in L.A. And that goes fine. But as long as I don't say at 63, because then I'm not shitting you. It's just that L.A. cannot handle the words. They cannot hear oh. it. It very much upsets them. I literally, I, I, I learned it. You know, you, you know how you learn to do things. You do it. And if it doesn't work, you, you fix it. But I'm not yeah. kidding you. It was just so bizarre. And I like just the other night I was in uh, Florida. Yeah. Sunday night. <laughs> I was in Florida and I, I made a point of saying 63. Everybody, all young and old, ah, yay, sexy thing. And then, you know, never, never would that come out of my mouth in that way. You said you have the what of an 18 year old, 19 year old? Boy? Oh, oh, I have the testosterone level of a Does 19 year old. testosterone level go? It changes. Oh. It, it, it changes. Yeah, it goes up. And all, it, all my body wants to do is drink beer, bang chicks, and grow <laughs> a beard on my face. So, so it has to do with me using a man's razor and hitting the sink with my balls in the morning now. Yeah. So that's the, Wait, is that really what is changing in your body? Yeah, you grow a full beard. Mm -hmm. Full beard. Okay. And do you want to bang yeah. chicks and drink beers? I I don't want to bang chicks and drink beer. Uh, I like to drink wine, but I don't bang chicks. Except that I don't, it just doesn't occur to me. <laughs> I also feel just, like... It just makes the joke good. Yeah. You know. I just didn't know if, if this was your coming out podcast. Oh, no. You know, that would be fun. But unfortunately, <laughs> I still like dick. I still love me some big old dick. I like softball. I like Subarus. I like softball. Uh, so I'm very much a lesbian. But I just, the only thing I crave is dick. I get it. I under, I have a Subaru. My husband and I just bought a Subaru. It's funny because he's the same thing. He's like, we have. Yeah. We have a. Yeah that car now um yeah what so you know you said it was in the last few years that you feel like you've kind of accepted your fear and noticed the fear what do you think was there you know I know like America's Got Talent kind of changed things for you but you said it was a few years before that like was it just getting older or was there like a certain specific thing that really made you, you know it was it? oh yeah it was it was not me at all and I think it was about truly maybe six years ago, I picked up Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. I love. And that was it. That was love. it. I mean, that was it. I mean, oh my God. I went, holy shit. She just told my, yeah, that to me, that just hit me like that was it. Fear, fear was, fear was something I didn't even know was there. I, I knew I was insecure. I knew I had self-doubt, but fear wasn't something I was even aware of. Yeah. And you know, and it was so, so great. Yeah. I was going to say what, what I love in that book that's really, um, you know, related to, to the story is that she talks about when someone else, you think someone else has your idea. Yes. Yes. And guess what? That show, that show, Oh, uh, what was that show on television? There was a, that very famous, oh, Crap City. Oh, what's that show? Oh, it was so funny. Oh, anyway, there was a show on TV where they actually 
took that scene. She's on a bus. She has a memory when she's writing her book. This young woman who wants to be a writer has a memory on her bu- a, a story comes to her on a bus. She lifted that, that the writer of that TV show lifted an entire chapter out of Elizabeth Gilbert's book, put it on an episode. And no, and I'm sure Elizabeth Gilbert could give a shit. You know really? what I mean? Yeah, because it well, might have been a magic. It might have not even, they might never have even read Elizabeth Gilbert's book. Wow. Yeah, because I've had that experience. And again, I don't I don't feel this way as much anymore, but when I've I've seen quote unquote one of my ideas on television or in a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, well, okay, but I didn't write the thing or or do the thing, you know, unless it's a situation in which, you know, that guy blatantly gave you Carrie Snow's joke or that guy blatantly sold your joke to the tonight show. That's a different situation. But when, you know, like you said, like there's only a finite amount of ideas. Everything's just sort of recycled and personalized. Exactly. So it really is great motivation to, you know, it's it's great motivation to take action on your ideas, but also that book gave me a lot of calm that like right now, like I, I used to try to do like 20 things at once. I got like five things on my plate and that's yeah. all I can handle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if one of, if that sixth thing that's not on the plate right now gets created by someone else and I have to cross it off my someday list. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, like trust that you'll come up with more ideas, like trust That's that you'll it. come up with more jokes. Like it's trusting yep. yourself. You'll, you'll, you're going to be, if you're truly an artist or a creative human being, you're going to come up with ideas till the day you die. Right. I mean, that's the thing about her. She kept saying that she was worried about the woman who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird because she thought she she never wrote another book. Well, they just ex- they just found a book that that woman did write, and now they're going to release wow. that book. It's like, I don't know how I feel about that because maybe the, the lady didn't like the book. But anyway, it's yeah. coming out. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I but I agree. Uh, you just in the. the the magic in that book, I I do believe in in magic and things happen all the time that feel like magic. Yeah. And but I but now what, what I learned from that was that the fear will always be with me. But the way she put it was the fear is not not running her life. The fear is with her. It's but it's not making decisions. It's 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 she's making decisions. She's yeah. running her life. And I feel like that's what I learned from this is that yeah, fear is definitely here. But you know I. Whenever I have doubt, I just hold up my arm really strong and I say, I'm born to do this and I can do this and I'm going to do this. It, especially like on nights when you have three shows and and I never know what I'm going to do. And so I always swear if I have three shows in a row, I'll talk this, I'll fuck up and say the same joke twice in a set by the third show. And that used to be really hard for me. But now I just say, uh-uh, I'm driving my bus. I only take one show at a time and I'm not going to do that. Yeah, and you have the boundaries. Yeah. So uh, that, it's just, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you love that book as much as me. I've bought it for so many people. I uh, love that. Yep. I didn't, um, eat, pray, love. I didn't. Yeah. It, I, I was angry with her for getting to be with the hot Brazilian. Fuck you, bitch. I mean, and ate I all was that angry. Food. I was angry because I had had gotten divorced and I, and I was like, well, I wanted to write a story about divorce. It's like, what? Who fucking, okay. There's a million stories about divorce. Have I written it? No. Uh, was so- it Italy and food involved? I mean, that's another yeah. thing. She was like, I, I felt like when I was reading it, I was like, Oh, shut up. Just shut the fuck up. Yeah. But, you know. 
I was glad that she wrote Big Magic because then that made me understand her more and not be mad about Eat, Pray, Love. Like, why was I mad? I I get mad sometimes when I, this is not about Elizabeth Gilbert, but like, you know, every now and then you see somebody get a lot of attention for something and you're like, I don't get it. Oh, you know, I, I get mad at the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I could not watch it anymore because why? Really? Because because the character got to hang out with um, Lenny Bruce, and I'm like, God damn it! She got to hang out with Lenny Bruce. I am so jealous of her. I hate her. So I people, and you know, you, your comic people always go, "Do you watch the marvelous Miss Maisel?" And they love it. And you 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 can't look at it and go. No, I hate it. And so I just go, oh, uh, I, I have to catch up on it. I don't want to go into my story of how much I hate her that she knows Lenny Bruce. I mean, that's bullshit. I get it, but it's true. Well, the world knows now. Yeah. <laughs> Vicki, this was so lovely. Oh, thank you, Julia. Thank you for oh, having me on. Of course. Um, I, I feel like I've been to confession. Are you going to give me some rosaries now? No, I you. love it. I just, I love that our story has a delightful end. Yes, or I to do be too. Or to be continued. Uh, absolutely. Like if, if, um, if you hadn't given me that gift of, of telling me your heart and, and, and taking me back into your heart, I wouldn't um, feel like that, how lucky I am to, to, to get to know you again. And I'm, I just look forward to our friendship very much. And um, some things that are lost are even more precious. I think, you know, when they're found and, and I just, I'll, I'll always be here whenever I'll always be here for you any, in any way I can be. Babysitting. Whatever. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, if you want. Um, I end every episode. Very important question. I ask all my guests, should I get bangs? I, I, you know, have you ever had bangs? I have. Well, so you know what they look like. So I always tell people to go to a wig shop, go to a wig store, put on a wig with bangs and then you'll know. Oh my God, that's but, a really good idea. But I, I remember when Michelle Obama got the bangs, I thought it was fantastic. I think you would look beautiful with or without bangs. I think in the winter, It'd be fun to have bangs in the fall. Fall is a good time for bangs. Keep my forehead warm. Well, yeah, it just kind of like goes with fall clothes, I think. Yeah, I agree. Okay, great answer. Vicki, thank you so much. Thank you, Julia. See you later. Bye. That was such a special episode for me uh, just because, yeah, it's, um, it really proves that, you know, sometimes things that affect one person are kind of a blip in in someone else's life memory mind and whatnot but um i i really love uh talking openly with people that have ever upset me or uh disappointed me or hurt me or whatever i just i i i'm i've always been a very forgiving person um at least i've tried to be sometimes too forgiving i do think you know Sometimes being too forgiving has has hurt me. Maybe you can relate. I've definitely forgiven someone when they weren't actually sorry or when they actually haven't changed. And that can be a negative thing. I've done that in relationships, previous relationships, both romantic and friendships. And that's something to be aware of. But on the other hand, I do think if you see that a person has changed or that a person really gets, you know, your point of view or, or whatever it is like forgiveness is such a 
beautiful thing and it's not a weak thing. For some reason, society as of late has made forgiving people uh, means you're a pussy, apparently, that you're weak, uh, that you're a, what's the word that they use? A cuck. Uh, (laughs) It's so dumb. People hold on to so much anger and it's like, man, if you just talk to people, I think more often than not, you guys can see each other's point of view. Um, I wanted to end sharing a little bit about Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert. Who knew that Vicky and I both loved that book so much? Um, but this is this is something that, that she, Elizabeth Gilbert, said in... I don't know if this quote is from her book or a speech. Um, but it... Uh, I think it's from the book. But... It, it talks about ideas coming to you. So what Elizabeth Gilbert says is when an idea thinks it has found somebody, say you, who might be able to bring it to the world, the idea will pay you a visit. It will try to get your attention. Mostly you will not notice. That is likely because you're consumed by your own dramas, anxieties, distractions, insecurities, and duties that you aren't receptive to inspiration. Um, the idea will try to wave you down. Uh, perhaps for a few moments, perhaps for a few months, perhaps even for years. But when it finally realizes that you're oblivious to its message, it will move on to someone else. Um, But sometimes rarely, but magnificently, there comes a day when you're open and relaxed enough to actually receiving something. Okay, this is a very long quote. So I, I do suggest you get the book if you haven't. But Basically, she says, in a quiet moment, the idea will ask, do you want to work with me? And at this point, you have two options for how to respond. Um, so I think maybe that's not the quote I wanted, but it's still a good quote. Um, basically, what that tells me and what her book tells me is it just made me a lot more chill about ideas and letting them flow and you know, not trying to do a hundred ideas at once. So um, that's that. Elizabeth Gilbert, Big Magic. Check it out. Check out Vicky's special when it comes out. Um, And thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoy the show, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. And uh, I've gotten some messages from listeners about guests and topics that they would like to um, hear on the show. And I really appreciate it. And I'm going to work on it. Um, And I've also gotten some nice messages asking me to not stop doing the show. I appreciate that as well. Um, Like I said, I might, I might do a little season one ending hiatus soon. Not sure. Kind of all depends on how busy I am with some other stuff, but, um, but yeah, as of now, I will talk to you next week with another fantastic guest. And that's it.